Will you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Lord Jesus, sometimes we are empty. And we turn many places to be filled, but only you can fill us. So we ask you to fill us in your word, fill us at your table today, that we would be filled with you. Amen. I think we all have a moment, like what happened in John chapter 2 at that wedding in Cana. I think we all have a moment in life when what we're relying on suddenly disappears. I think we all have a moment when what we thought we had and counted on was suddenly gone. That thing we trusted in, or where we got our energy from, where we built up our our self-esteem. I think we've all had a time when, when that went away. Whether it's our energy ran dry or our spiritual life seemed like a desert, what gave us meaning, what gave us energy for life, I think we've all had a day where those things seemed to dry up and we felt empty. I think we've all had a moment when the wine ran out. Just like the wine ran out at that wedding in Cana where Jesus was, which for them was a cause for great shame and great embarrassment, I think we've all had a moment where your wine runs out. Now, some of you have told me you think it's a crisis when literally you run out of wine at home, but that's kind of not what we're talking about right now. I'm talking about some other things, like that time you had a relationship where you put so much into and then suddenly it ended. Or something you put your hopes and your dreams for the future and then it didn't work out that way. We've all had a moment where it seemed like the wine ran out, and what do you do? Where do you turn? Where do you turn when the wine runs out? Well, that's where I want to pick up the story from John 2, and I want to start with the very last verse of that story, because the last verse, verse 11, says, what Jesus did here in Canaan, Galilee, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory And the disciples believed in him. Jesus did many miraculous things. And John even says in chapter 20, you know, there are so many things, miraculous things that Jesus did, and there aren't even enough pages in books to to write them all down. But John only records seven, interestingly. There's only seven miracles recorded in all of John. And then most people think there's the implied eighth, which is the Eighth day, new day of new creation, new life, and that's Jesus rising from the dead. So he only records seven, and he never uses the word miracle. They're not magic tricks. They're things done for a purpose so that you would believe in him. His disciples see the power of Jesus, and they believe in him, and then they follow. So they're not called a miracle. They're called a sign. So when you're driving around, what's the purpose of a sign? Right? Point you to the right exit or where you're going. If you're driving into downtown Holland for the first time from south of town, you maybe you're on 196, get off to 31, and then you go veer left at South Washington, and then you're at South Washington, and you're right at Family Fair, and then you see one of those newer, artistic, oddly shaped Holland signs. And is that sign downtown? Are you there? Have you arrived? No, you've arrived at a, you know, a conversation piece that people complained about when they went up. 
If you were looking for downtown for the first time, would you get out at that sign, you know, right by Family Fair and take a picture, take your selfie there and say, ah, I saw Holland, get back in your car and then keep going? No. You wouldn't say, hey, I've been to Family Fair in Holland. Yes, I've been to Holland. No. The sign points you to where you're going. It points you there. So John never says the word miracles in his gospel. So when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it's called a sign. When he feeds 5,000 out of almost nothing, it's called a sign. The sign points you to the real thing. We're never supposed to get mesmerized by Jesus' miracles just so we want to see more miracles, though some did around him. They're supposed to point you to your Savior who died and rose for you and wants to fill you and give you life. We're supposed to see the sign and believe in Jesus. So Jesus does this first known sign at a wedding. His first recorded miracle is at a wedding, which seems very normal. Jesus lives a normal life with normal people. And Jesus makes your normal life holy. He goes to a wedding. People near and dear to him, his mom's there, his disciples there, they must have knew them well. Nine miles from his hometown, about a day's walk, not that far. And so, very well known. And Jewish weddings were not, you know, one-day affairs. They are week-long parties. And the host family is supposed to provide all the food and wine and everything for a, a week long. So very costly, spend a lot of money, a lot of preparation. That's why they save, you know, fattened calves for a long time for big events like this. But then something happens. On day three, verse one says, here's the beginning of the story. On the third day, a wedding took place. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus' disciples had been invited. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So on day three of seven, halfway through, the wine runs out, which it might not seem like a big deal. You know, oh, today you just go to the store and get more if you want something. Can't do that. Nowhere around. It takes years to make. And you might wonder, well, why is this such a big deal? Well, this is a culture where, where honor and shame are everything for families. And so this would bring great shame not just to the couple getting married, but to their whole family, and they're probably related to everybody in the village, and everybody around villages know this, and they won't forget it tomorrow. They're going to remember it for months and years and even generations. Just huge shame to this whole family, even village. But John already gave us a clue that this day wouldn't be about that, that this day would be special. And that was, in verse 1 he says, on the third day. On the third day, a wedding took place. So John, remember when we looked at John 1 in December, gives all sorts of clues for you to pay attention to it and look for stuff later. So on the third day, what happens later in Jesus' life on the third day? Does that phrase you know, mean something to us? Yeah, we just spoke in the creed. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Yeah, that's a loaded phrase. Jesus rises on the third day. Jesus is bringing that third day, resurrection, death-defeating, new covenant wine, and peaceful presence back into normal life. Here at a, a small wedding in a small town in the middle of nowhere, Jesus comes near to bring that presence. And do you believe that about your life too? That Jesus comes into your little village and your little problems with his third day resurrection presence because he loves you. 
So on the third day, this wedding took place, Canaan, Galilee, Jesus' mother, and he and his disciples are there. And then verse 3, when the wine was gone, his mom says to him, they have no more wine. And then Jesus says, well, what does it have to do with me? And he uses another loaded phrase, my hour has not yet come. And his mother then said to the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. That's the moment. The wine runs out. The moment came. Where do you go when the wine runs out? Where do you go when what you've been relying on is suddenly not there anymore? Where do you go when you just feel like you are on complete empty? Because eventually we'll all have a time when that happens, when the wine runs out on you. And it could be your energy and you just feel completely depleted. It could be when your prayer life is just dry and you feel like you're in this long spiritual desert. Or it could be when a career abruptly ends and what you thought you had comes crashing down and you built your identity in your career and then poof, it's gone and you don't even know who you are. If you live long enough, you will face a time when everything you have come to rely on disappears and you feel empty because the wine has run out. Where do you go? Maybe the obvious choice in the story is to turn to actual wine just to dull the pain. Or do you turn to another person and expect them to be your everything to fill that void and then you put too much pressure on them to be perfect for you in every way, in a way that they can never match up? Or you could bury your nose in your own work and just put blinders on and work harder thinking it'll just make everything go better. Where do you turn when the wine runs out in your life? Mary does the one thing that we all should do. She goes to Jesus. She doesn't go anywhere else with her problems. She doesn't go to anywhere else. She knows that he is the only one that really can fix this. She doesn't go anywhere else. She doesn't uh, try other stuff. She, just, she doesn't even tell Jesus what to do. She just knows that he is the one to turn to in a moment like this. And so Mary goes straight to the one person that she thought could solve a big, embarrassing problem, and she was right. Yet at first, Jesus resists, doesn't he? He says, my time, it's not my time yet. My hour has not yet come, which I said is also a loaded phrase in John. He says that five different times in John, my hour has not yet come. So he's bringing that resurrection presence here in chapter 2, and he, and he does the sign, the miracle, yet he says, my hour has not yet come. And then he continues to heal and to teach, and yet says at other times, well, my hour has not yet come. So he's doing these things, and yet still saying, my hour, well, then you're wondering, well, when is that hour coming? If he's doing this ministry, and yet saying it's, when does Jesus' truest hour come when he drinks new wine in his new kingdom? It's on the cross. He is given that wine and he drinks it. That is where your king's hour has come, where he is crowned king because he is dying for you to rise for you. You see, every time Jesus talks about his hour, he's talking about what he's going to do for you by his death and resurrection. So he initially says, my hour has not yet come, but yet, you know, mothers can be very persistent sometimes. So Mary just goes ahead and says to everybody else, hey, just do what he says, okay? And so Jesus relents, and then he gives some instructions, but they're weird instructions. He tells the servants to fill these big stone purification jars 
used for a ceremonial washing for uh, Jewish you know, rituals and for coming into worship, different stuff, uh, and, and pots and pans, all that ceremonial washing stuff. And they hold 20 to 30 gallons. You can go to Cana today. They, they found one nearby. Big stone jars. And Jesus says, well, fill them with water. And then they fill them, and then John includes a detail. They don't just fill them. They fill them to the brim. Why include that detail? Why fill to the brim? No one can come back later and say, well, somebody else dumped some wine in and then it was watered down. And it... Usually wine was cut with water anyway. So when Jesus says, fill it all the way up to the brim, it's all water. And yet they take some then to the master and then he tastes it and says, whoa, the, the good stuff? Hey, this is the middle of the week, man. This is like Boone's Farm Day and tomorrow is like Franzia Box Day. And, and, and whoa, the good stuff. Wow. And then the story ends saying this is the first of the signs Jesus did where he showed his glory and his disciples believed in him. When the wine runs out in your life, go to Jesus. Don't go anywhere else. Go straight to Jesus. When you're on empty, when you're stuck, go to Jesus. When you're lost, when you feel directionless, or you feel emotionally and spiritually drained, don't go anywhere else. Go to Jesus. He is the one person that can truly fill the hole. He is the one person that can truly fill what is empty in your heart. And he is the one person that did for you what you and I could never do for ourselves, to die for you, forgive you, rise to give you hope, and come near to fill that emptiness in your life. He will fill you with his forgiveness and grant it over and over and over. He will fill you with hope, and he will fill you with his new wine. He is the body and blood. He is the bread of life who comes near to you today. Go to Jesus and trust Him. Don't tell Him what to do. Do what Mary did and just go to Him. Now, He might give you some weird instructions like He did. That's okay. When He says, follow me, He means it. So we do. Jesus is the new wine that will never run out on you. He is what can truly fill your soul and give meaning to your life. He is the one thing that can fill you when the wine runs out in your life, go to Jesus. You won't be disappointed. You'll be filled. Amen.